Our story this morning ends on an unpredictable note. The story ends with a question mark. No resolution. No Jonah repented of his horrible attitude and agreed with the Lord that he was being a whiny baby. I must confess that I feel slightly unresolved when reading this last chapter of Jonah. Most of the movies that we watch train us to have a nice resolution with a nice bow at the end where the good guy wins. But not here. Not in this story. Because this story was not written for our entertainment. This story was actually written to help show our own hearts. So instead of a nice ending, what we're actually left with at the end of Jonah is a mirror. It's a mirror pointing back at us. And with the question that we have to ask ourselves, do we see Jonah in our own life? In our own attitudes and thoughts, who do we reflect more? Do we reflect the prophet who is uninterested about those who are spiritually lost, or do we reflect the God who desires to show mercy and compassion to those unable to know the right hand from their left? And so as we consider Jonah of chapter 4 a little bit more closely, we need to remember what happened last week. And really, in all accounts, Jonah had the most successful ministry of any Old Testament prophet Nowhere in the Old Testament do we see so many people repent. And in fact, not just even the people, but even their livestock repented. And we see that God was gracious in chapter 3, verse 10, how he turned away from what he said he would do. But yet what's surprising about Jonah 4 is how he responded to the repentance. Jonah responded in a way that I don't think any missionary in the history of missionaries would respond. And really there's no other way to describe Jonah's reaction other than him being resentful. He resented the repentance that the Ninevites showed. Jonah's attitude throughout all of chapter 4, it lacks pity and empathy towards Nineveh. Towards Nineveh. And, and really, this is in stark contrast to the Lord, who has deep compassion and empathy for Nineveh. And so e- even though Jonah is historical, that Jonah actually did go to Nineveh, that he actually preached this message, that the Ninevites actually repented, it's also a parable. And like I mentioned, it's a parable designed to reflect back at us and ask the question, who will you more reflect? Will you reflect the uninterested prophet or the merciful and compassionate God? And so what we learn in Jonah 4 is this, that the Lord desires for his people to reflect his heart and compassion for the lost. That is my main point for this sermon. That's what I believe the author of Jonah 4 is communicating to us, that the Lord desires his prophet and also desires for us, his people, to reflect his gracious and compassionate heart for the lost. And so looking at this story, we see that there's two different scenes. First scene we see in verses 1 through 4, and the second in verses 5 through the rest of the chapter, verse 11. And in these two scenes, we have the contrasting of Jonah and the Lord. 
And it's really in that contrast that we are to ask ourselves, what do we reflect? And so I have two brief points for us. We have first the unpredictable prophet, and second, we have the unpredictable plant. And so hopefully as we consider this, we will be asking ourselves, who do we reflect? So first, we see the unpredictable prophet. And I say that because Jonah's reaction is very unpredictable. Again, like I mentioned, you would never expect somebody who experienced such a salvation in his own life to turn around and be so shy to extend mercy and grace to others. If you remember in chapter 2, Jonah called out in thanksgiving to God because God had saved him. The same prophet who can so gloriously declare salvation is from the Lord turns around and says, grace for me, but not for you. Yes, salvation is a beautiful thing when it comes into my own house and my own life, but when it gets extended to my enemies, I'm resentful. And so it should never be a predictable response that a person who receives grace and mercy is shy to see it extended to others. But, but secondly, Jonah's response is not what we expect because of just how angry he was. It's not that he was just callous. It's not that he was just merely annoyed with the, the, the repentance of the Ninevites. It's that you look throughout this again and again and again. He's, he's wanting this like spiritual euthanizing of sorts. That he is so angry that he would rather die than see his enemies repent. Jonah actually thought it was unjust and evil that God relented from his judgment towards sinners. And so this is why in verse 3, he actually called out to the Lord because of his anger. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. How can we, in one part of our mouth, so gloriously declare salvation is from the Lord, yet on the other side of our mouth, lament the very character of God? Jonah should have rejoiced that God was the type of God that he is, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Instead, he laments the God of Israel. And I think we need to understand the vital error that Jonah has. It's not that Jonah doesn't understand that salvation is by grace alone. It's that Jonah doesn't understand the extent of God's grace. Jonah's spiritual pride had somehow landed him to the point that God's grace extends to some people, but not to others. And so I think we can assess Jonah's anger and his lack of extending grace from two brief perspectives. First, Jonah is angry at God's mercy towards sinners. Now, Jonah clearly has two different categories for sinners. There's sinners... And then there's sinners. Jonah is one of those people who would have thought of himself and of his countrymen as the people who sometimes make mistakes, who have occasional mistakes, but not people who actually deserve God's judgment. It's not sin. I was just a little oopsie-whoopsie. 
It's not that I'm a bad person. I'm a good person who sometimes lacks perspective. In fact, I think if you asked most people out there, most people have an underlying assumption that they are a good person who sometimes makes mistakes but doesn't deserve to go to hell. Hell is reserved for people like Hitler and people who hurt children. But for themselves, we are mostly good. And this means, because Jonah has this perspective, that he thinks God is soft towards sin. That Jonah believes that God is being unjust not by punishing the evildoer. Because historically, we need to understand that the Ninevites were really, truly evil people who did barbaric things. And so not only is is Jonah mad that these evildoers have repented, he is mad that God used him to bring about the repentance. In Luke 15, we read that some of the religious leaders saw that Jesus was dining with sinners and tax collectors. And they were a little cold towards the idea of Jesus eating with those type of sinners. And so Jesus gives them a little story to kind of help showcase their horrible attitude. And it's the story of the prodigal son. There was a son who went to his father and asked for his inheritance. And when getting it, he went and squandered it in reckless living and in sin. Well, this younger son who squanders inheritance became poor and destitute, and he began to actually envy the pigs who at least had a meal coming to them. And so the son comes to his right mind. And he goes to his father thinking that maybe my father will at least let me stay on as a hired servant. But the moment the father sees the son, he runs to him, embraces him, kisses him, yells to his servant, get him a robe, get him the ring, kill the fattened calf. We're having a party tonight. Because my son was lost. But now he is found. But that's not the end of the story. The story is really about the older son who's looking at all this. It was, the, it was the older son who said, well, I never squandered my inheritance. I never took prostitutes and defamed your name. And yet you never killed the fattened calf for me. You never threw me a big party. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Jonah is just like this older brother. He is so angry that God has shown mercy to the evil and insidious Ninevites that he can have no part of it. Jesus actually ends that parable by saying this, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need for repentance. But the second perspective of Jonah's anger that we can surmise is that Jonah was angry that God showed mercy to his evil Gentile enemies. Jonah believed that his country, we even see that emphasis in verse 2, he mentions my country, that God's promises were reserved only for him and ethnic Israel. 
He believed that God's revelation of being gracious and compassionate should only be reserved to those within the national borders of Israel. How is it fair? How is it fair that God would give his covenant blessings to those outside of the nation of Israel, to those people who are not his special people? You see, again, Jonah and the Jews of Jesus' day forgotten the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, that through you, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And this is why Jesus gives another parable in Matthew 20 about the laborers in the vineyard. They get hired in the morning to work in this vineyard, and they're agreeing to, pay, to work for one denarius. And so these laborers are working all day long, and at the very end of the day, when there's just one hour left, the master hires another person just to work for that last hour. And when, when pay time comes, everyone gets one denarius. And those who had worked the whole day say, wait a second, how come they get the same even though they worked one hour and I put in all of my eight hours? To which the master responds like this, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Jonah's problem is that he does begrudge God's generosity. All throughout the New Testament, we see that when it comes to the category of grace, when it comes to the category of God's elective salvation, the sovereignty of God in those who believe, it is not the category of fairness. It is always the category of grace. And so perhaps we're not exactly like Jonah, but maybe you are, but I can't imagine many of us lamenting the salvation of thousands of people repenting from their sins. So perhaps we're not like Jonah in that way, but yet at, all, at times all of us struggle with extending grace to others. We may struggle to forgive others when they wrong us, and we write them off in our minds to never approach them again. Instead of pursuing reconciliation, we may decide that certain people don't deserve a second chance. At times, we can easily see ourselves as more spiritually superior, more morally equitable than other people groups. And we could be just like the older son in the prodigal son story. Maybe you're someone and you think that you don't really deserve God's judgment, that you're a really good person and that God should only love you. Maybe you have been a victim. Maybe someone has really wronged you and now that person has repented and you feel conflicted and you want them to experience more justice. There are more examples I can give, but my question is, is how about you? Are, are there ways in your life in which you reflect more of Jonah and not extending grace or the gracious and compassionate God that we see in Jonah 4? In fact, really in verse 2, we get one of the most glorious descriptions of who God is in the Old Testament. It's an allusion to Exodus 34 and Joel chapter 2, but here's what we read. God is gracious 
and merciful. But how about you? Are you able to forgive and extend grace when it is undeserving? Are you able to treat others better than they deserve? Are you tender and caring for those who are in misery? Do you love your enemies? God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Are you patient with others? Or are you quick to point out faults? Are you generous in bearing with others? Or are you generous in your thoughts towards others? Is your love reliable? Or is your love only seen when you are getting what you want? God relents from disaster. Do you hold people's sins against you, against them, after they have apologized, after they have repented? You know, it's it's not theologically accurate to say that God forgets our sins. God is God. He doesn't forget things. At the same time, God does choose to not remember our sin when we repent and ask to be forgiven. Are we able to do the same? And that's the question that Jonah 4 is asking us. Who who do you see? The mirror is pointing back at you. And so all of this, how, how do we grow to become more like this God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster? How, how do we see our own lives reflect more of this beautiful God? Well, the way we do this, the way we grow, is we need to take our eyes, gaze, and put it on the cross. We need to remember Calvary's tree The cross is always the answer to all of our spiritual maladies, to all of our spiritual sickness, to all of our sin. It is always the cross of Jesus Christ because it is at the cross we see love and justice meet together in perfect harmony. When we remember the cross, we see our sinless Savior died who did not deserve to die but who willingly chose to die for his enemies. At the cross, we stop comparing ourselves to others. All the spiritual superiority goes away. We begin to see ourselves rightly because at the cross, our spiritual pride is cut at the root because we see what was needed to actually atone for our sins. See, the cross gives you a true perspective about yourself. It says that is what you deserve. God's judgment Justice. Not others, not, not, not the terrorists, you. But the cross also shows us just how much we are loved. What God would do for his enemies. That Jesus Christ would absorb all of God's wrath in your behalf as your representative so that you would not meet a God who holds your sins against you, but you would meet a God who is gracious and compassionate, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You see, 
where Jonah would rather die than see his enemies be reconciled? Christ dies for his enemies while we were still enemies, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. See, friends, it is only at the cross does our hearts engender this type of love for God that translates to a love for others. And so, dear brothers and sisters, when we fail to extend God's grace to others, when we struggle to forgive others, when we are tempted to avenge the injustices in our own life, let us remember the gospel. And this is why, as a church, we want to be all about Jesus. This is why week in and week out, we want to elevate the work and person of Jesus Christ because it is the answer to all of our spiritual sickness. And so it is through the gospel, ultimately, we learn to reflect God's gracious and compassionate heart to the lost. And so what we see in the next section, the next scene, is that God is faithful to teach us more and more about how to extend his grace. And so secondly, we see the unpredictable plant. And so it could be easy to read this story to see this is a prophet who is falling from grace. And maybe he experienced true salvation in chapter 2, but now he has really fallen away. This is nowhere near the type of Jonah we saw in the belly of the fish crying out to God. But instead of seeing Jonah as, as a fall from grace, I think what we should rather see is how God passionately and relentlessly pursues Jonah to continue to teach him about God's grace. You see, at this point, the Lord could easily just look at Jonah and say, Jonah, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm tired of your bad attitude. I've been dragging you along all over this ancient world. You know what? I'm done with you, man. I'm going to find someone else who's willing. I'm going to find another Isaiah. You know, here I am, Lord, send me. I need one of those guys in my corner. But instead, what the Lord does is he sends this unpredictable plant. And, and this, it's unpredictable because it's his grace. Instead of giving up on Jonah, he says, no, I have more to teach Jonah. And so Jonah kind of says, okay, maybe I'm going to give God some time. God needs a little bit of cool off, but God's going to come to his senses. God's going to do the right thing. He's going to punish the evildoers. So I'm going to get a good seat to see the show of display. And so he, he gets up there, and the best way I can describe, he, he makes a little fort, right? And in his fort, he becomes a spectator, watching down below, hoping and waiting, his dreams of seeing his enemies crushed come true. But the Lord is gracious, and he provides this plant, and it comes up over Jonah, and it gives him shade. And again, look at, look at the language Verse 6, now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. You know, first Jonah is exceedingly angry. You know, he's so angry that he wants to see his enemies punished. But now over a little plant, he's exceedingly glad. But what we see, what the Lord does is, is the Lord sends a little worm and destroys the plant. And more than this, God brings a scorching east wind, beats down the sun on Jonah, getting sunburned. Maybe he's old and doesn't have any hair, and he's just miserable. 
And one of the themes that we keep running into Jonah is, is seeing how God in his sovereignty will continue to put us in the perfect position for us to be able to learn more about his grace. The Lord appointed all of these things to put Jonah in this perfect position where Jonah now wants to die. He says in verse 8, and he asks that he might die. It is better for me to die than to live. And so the Lord's argument to Jonah is very simple. He says, Jonah, you care so much about a little plant that you had nothing to do with. It sprang up overnight, it died overnight. You, you care so much about your little comfort that you were willing to die. And God's question comes in very simply. Should not I pity these 120,000 people with all of their culture, with all of their money, all of their cattle, Like I said earlier, we don't like watching movies that end on bad notes. I remember years ago, I, I decided around the Christmas season to watch a movie on the Holocaust. And, you know, and I'd seen other films on World War II and the Holocaust and usually was emotionally able to kind of bounce back from it. But this particular movie, I think it was originally a book, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, left me completely undone. The ending was so surprising, so, so shocking that, I, matter of fact, like, this doesn't really happen when I watch movies, but I, I woke up in the night thinking about the atrocities. And sometimes we, we, we want the stories to kind of resolve nice and Jonah realized that, God, you were right, I'm so sorry, these people deserve grace, but, but again, it just ends so abruptly almost like the ending of Mark's gospel. And so as we finish up our own little study of Jonah here, where does it leave us? There's a story where Jesus gives in the gospels and he says, you know, a Pharisee and a tax collector went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisees kind of sat there all proud and God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector over here. I tithe twice a week, I, I pray, I do all the right things. God, thank you that I'm really great. But it's the tax collector, the enemy, who's on his knees and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I hope our response to Jonah is not like that tax collector. God, I thank you I'm not like Jonah. I pray for our missionaries. I give a lot of money to them. Go missions. We want the gospel to go out. Man, this Jonah guy, he's really bad. I think our response should be a little bit more of where do I see myself in this story? Maybe you are like Jonah in that you are a spectator when it comes to evangelism and sharing the gospel, you would rather for other Christians and super-Christians to be faithful in that way. And for you, you're going to be up in your little fort watching. 
Or perhaps in all the busyness and the interests of your life, you have become so unconcerned about the fate of so many of God's creatures. Have you ever considered that your lack of concern for hundreds of thousands, even hundreds of millions of people who are made in God's image is a matter of great grief to the Lord? Jonah is seen pitying a small plant, yet God pities those who are lost spiritually, who don't know their right hand from their left. So what are the things in your life that you pity more, that you care more about, that you are more concerned with than what God cares about? See, God desires for us to reflect his heart. And his heart is always for people. And so if one of God's prophets, Jonah is a prophet of God, if if Jonah could fall so short in seeing God's universal concern for people, how much more should we ask ourselves if there is anything in our heart in which we can be cold towards in which God is warm? All throughout the Bible, this whole book, we see that God's concern for the nations and for people is always greater than that of his people. That's why I believe Jonah is actually part of the Old Testament canon. It was to remind the Jews, to remind the Israelites of the promise that God made to Abraham. It is through you in which all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And how much for us should we read Jonah and and think about the great commission that we see in Matthew 28, in which Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so just as the Old Testament believers had their commission, so do we in Christ in the New Testament have ours, that we are to help bring as many people into the kingdom of God, those who would bow the knee to Christ in faithful allegiance. If you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, this is our desire for you, that you would come to know the God who has made you, who loves you, who is willing to forgive your sins because of what he has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. We want you to know this God and how he, has, he loved you from eternity's past. And so if you would believe in the Lord Jesus and repent from earning your own way to make yourself right with God and trust in Christ, you can be saved. You can have the promise of eternal life. This is what Christians do. As the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so in conclusion, Allow me to offer some brief but practical ways in which we can aim to reflect God's heart and compassion for the lost. First, learn about the Ninevehs that are around you. Who are the non-Christians at your work or in your neighborhood? My challenge to you as one of your pastors is to get to know them. Learn to care for them. Learn to enjoy these people. It's difficult to have a heart for people like the Lord does if we don't actually know them. 
I want to encourage you that as you get to know them, to find opportunities to talk to them about who the Lord is. If you struggle with how to do this, I encourage you, go to our bookstall and, and find a good book on evangelism. Find a f- Christian friend who maybe can give you some helpful tips of how to share your faith. But friends, please, let us not be a church that is guilty of being unconcerned about those who are lost around us. May we always remember that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Secondly, I would say learn about the Ninevehs around the world who desperately need a Jonah to go to them. Just like the little video that we saw, I would say educate yourself on on who the unreached people groups are. Our church frequently gives information on these types of people. Pray that God would send out laborers. Pray that God would raise up Jonah's right here in our church who would not just be willing to go for a short-term mission trip, but the type of leaving which they leave their homes and their families goodbye in order to go make disciples. Thirdly, support the Jonah's who do go. I'm grateful that as a church we put aside a portion of our budget every year to support missionaries to make sure that they're fully funded. And know that when you do give to this church, that your money is going to these causes. But pray that you can support your ministries, missionaries practically. Pray for them. Send them encouraging notes. Send them a package. Give them a place to stay when they're visiting in town. And support them with your money. Lastly, how do we learn to reflect God's heart I want to encourage you to always remember the great love with which God has loved you in Christ. Rehearse the gospel frequently. Remind others around you about how the gospel both encourages us, but how it also convicts us. We will only be able to reflect the Lord's gracious heart when we remember his great heart for us. I pray that you take missions seriously. So as we close Jonah, one of the fascinating things about Jonah is how oftentimes we leave the book of Jonah with a bad taste in our mouth about the prophet. If I'm being honest, there's really nothing redeemable about the guy in the whole book. Maybe a little bit in chapter two, but the rest of the book, we don't see much to be excited about. But I got to imagine that this cliffhanger of sorts, this question that the Lord asked Jonah, Jonah, ought I not be concerned for these people? That question was like a dagger to his heart, like a lingering aftertaste, a thought he couldn't get out of his head, a thought that would wake him up in the night, a thought that would ultimately lead to Jonah's repentance. Although I can't say for sure, but I do think it was this this mirror pointing back at Jonah, this little unpredictable plant that finally got Jonah's attention of just how wide and how far God's grace extends. And I believe that the prophet ultimately repented because who else would have told the story? And this is why I believe that when Jonah is referenced in the New Testament, when Jesus mentions Jonah, he doesn't mention the 
runaway prophet. He doesn't mention the self-absorbed, narcissistic, selfish, callous, mean-hearted prophet. He only mentions his name. And isn't that the joy of the gospel? That when Jonah repented and he wrote down this account to help God's people, the thing that God remembers was not his bad attitude. It was his name. So how much more true for us who are in Christ that when we repent of our sins, when we acknowledge our sin, God chooses to not remember our sin and he just remembers our name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us, teach us, show us, reveal to us again and again the scandal of grace. Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient. Lord, we pray that we would change our attitudes in any way in which we might be shy to see your grace extended to others. Lord, I pray that we would do the hard work of being self-aware and asking probing questions of where we might see our own self in this story. Lord, I want to pray for us as individuals, Lord, as we live our lives and our communities, Lord, that we would be concerned, that we would pity the things that you are concerned about. Lord, I want to pray for us as a church that there would be a culture here in which we would desire to see the Lord Jesus readily shared with, that we would know and believe that as Christians we have good news to share. So Lord, I pray that as we pray for this fruit, we know that it would come by remembering your great love and care towards us. God, we were Nineveh. We were spiritually lost, not knowing our right hand from our left. But yet, God, you sent someone who shared with us the gospel message that we can be forgiven, that we can be made right with you through Christ. Lord, forgive us at any time in which we have so joyfully received mercy, but slow to give it out. And so, Lord, purify your church. Refine us, Lord. Give us the boldness and the courage to stand up for the truth and to make Christ known to all the nations. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.